A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, the world has changed quite a bit in the two weeks since our last recording. A new president, a new lockdown, an extension to the furlough scheme, a postponement to step three and below, and today a possible new vaccine. There is a hell of a lot to talk about, chaps. Welcome to episode five of the Premier Non-League podcast. This is the Premier Non-League podcast. So on the line tonight, we have got... Chris from the Mariners podcast. Chris, good evening. How are you doing, mate? Very well indeed. Thanks, James. Good evening, everybody. Good to I'm very well. Northern correspondent once again. Pete is back from the South Coast. How are you doing, Pete? You okay? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. Good to see you. <laughs> good to see you. And Trev, Trev, last but not least, Trev's here also on the South Coast. I don't know why I said Pete's back from the South Coast. He's always on the South Coast, but I think I, I've just gone north for a little bit there, haven't I? So, uh, Trev, welcome. How are you doing, mate? Hi, James. Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good. Uh, well, I know you've been very busy this week because you've been our roving reporter with uh, interviews coming up with Nick Robinson, the Ismin League chairman, as well as Warren Barton, who's a former non and Premier League footballer, and he's now turned a sports pundit over in the US. So uh, you've been busy boy this week, Trev, haven't you? Very. Three three games I managed to get out to last week before we went into lockdown on, on Thursday as well. Managed Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, yeah, two interviews, Nick on Friday afternoon and Warren on Thursday. Uh, Friday evening. Well, I know three of us on the line, uh, me, yourself and Pete, we were at the Worthing's um, last match against Three Bridges, which is in the Sussex Senior Cup. A pretty awful way to go out um, into the lockdown period, Pete. Uh, don't you agree? Yeah, yeah. You've got to sit on that defeat now for 28 days. It wasn't wasn't great. Um, they went down to 10 men after half an hour, Three Bridges. Uh, Worthing didn't impose themselves on the game to the uh, I think it was the 80th minute, it was 78th minute we scored, went 1-0 up and then lost two two goals in the last 10 minutes against three bridges that were obviously a step below us. Um, so yeah, so a disappointing way to go out. It was pretty awful and uh, the behaviour of some of the fans were really not uh, relative to the Worthing. I say fans, I should have a little apostrophes above them because they weren't real fans of football, uh, sort of bringing our name into disrepute. Um, there's one reason I left Chris till last because he's had a little bit more football action because uh, South Shields were in the FA Cup, weren't they? And I think they held a good account for themselves. Certainly did, James. Yeah, we were away to Cheltenham Town in the FA Cup first round and um, gave a good account of themselves, to be honest. Um, lost 3-1. But, uh, and 3-1 was probably just about the right score, I think. Cheltenham are a good side, make no mistake, they'll do well this season in League Two. Um, but there was a moment in the first half where um, Shields could well have gone 2-1 up. Um, Cheltenham started brilliantly, um, piled pressure on, took an early lead, but then Shields has got a foothold and scored a great goal to equalise. Unfortunately, the goal scorer, Darius Asai, had to go off as he cannoned into the goalposts as he scored. Um, But then just before half-time, beautiful move, two passes, which basically just wiped five Cheltenham uh, defenders out of the game. And uh, Will McCamley was through on goal and just knocked it wide of the post. Had that gone in, going at at half-time 2-1, something to hold on to, who knows, but... Um, there were moments in the game where Shields were actually the better side, so 
um, I, I guess what you just said there about the way you went into lockdown on the back of a bad defeat in the Sussex Senior Cup, we go into lockdown on the back of a defeat in the FA Cup, but with with confidence and with pride. So it's a kind of a different mindset. Um, plus, with what's happened at the club, the announcement immediately after the game, it's got everyone talking and um, people just can't wait to get back out of this lockdown and get back to football. Do you want to tell everyone what that announcement was? Because I certainly know what it was, but uh, why don't you divulge a little bit? Yeah, um, basically, um, it's quite well known that South Shields have had a joint management team since 2016, uh, Lee Picton and Graham Fenton, and uh, um, the partnership is no more. Um, Lee Picton is now the club's chief executive officer, so in, is, he's suddenly become Graham Fenton's boss, I guess. Um, so Graham now has sole control of the, of the first team. Club captain and academy coach John Shaw is now joint assistant manager, but is still going to play uh, a lot. And he's got he's joint assistant manager with Brian Smith. So um, there was a few supporters have never liked joint management. I, I, there's a lot of football fans never will. So although they've been very successful. Um, there was still that thing in the background, you know, joint managers don't work. Well, that's gone now. Um, Lee is now chief executive, Graham first team manager, and uh, and and John Shaw is um, player stroke assistant manager. So it's there's excitement there, um, as well as disappointment after the cup loss. But um, I think like you guys and everybody else who's listening in. The sooner this is all over, the better. We just want to get back to football and, and, and being able to talk about action on the field rather than what's going on off the field and what's going on around the world. Yeah, there's just one thing I was going to say there, Chris, um, about sort of joint management teams. I'm just going to throw one thing at you. Uh, Brian Clough and Peter Taylor? Yeah, I, I mean, I was never, I, I'd never minded the joint management. It's, it's not my opinion, but it, it, there's a lot of people don't like it. I guess Peter Taylor was a, was, kind of more than an assistant manager, but was he co-manager? I'm not sure. He was the one that sourced the players, the talent into the club and and, and Cluffy nurtured it and, and got it right on the field. Um, they, they, they just fed off each other. Um, Graham Fenton and Lee Picton more or less did the same, I guess. Um, both had their own strengths. Graham, a, a striker, Lee, a defender, different different ideas on coaching. But for a few fans, um, Lee has always been seen as a, as a top-class coach and not necessarily a manager, where Graham seems to have more about him and what you would think would become a very good manager. Lee's also a very articulate guy, very astute. And we, I, I certainly uh, have spoken to him on many occasions, and he comes across to me as being very astute, aware of a lot of things in the world. And I think he'll make a good CEO, whether whether South Shields Football Club at the moment, as it stands as a non-league club, needs a CEO, I, I don't know. But clearly the, the goal is to get the club into the Football League. So the chairman has made these decisions. And I, I gather from 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 my, my sources, as you would say, that all parties involved are extremely excited and are buzzing at the thought of getting getting started with these new roles. I was going to say, do you think it's going to work? Because obviously from being, as you say, 
One of them's now the other one's Gaffer. He's the boss. So, I mean, so they've been joint managing the team before. Now, mm. do you think there could be problems down the line or has everyone got that clear goal and there's been clear boundaries set out, do you reckon? I know, obviously, you're probably not, you know, adverse to knowing all the ins and outs of it. Mm. But to me, it could sound like it could work, but could it also be tread with caution? Two things. One, they've been a management partnership for more than 10 years because they were heads, joint heads of the Football Academy at Monk Seton High School um, in North Tyneside. Um, so before they became joint managers of South Shields, they worked together for, for more than six years. I guess, though, with the second thing is, I don't care what roles you're in, as soon as results go wrong, um, there's, there's heads are on the line, heads are on the chopping block. So I guess um, had Lee and Graham started on a bad run of results and they were a, a partnership, would they have both gone? Would one stay? Would one go? Um, uh, John Shaw is always going to be looking to become a manager one day. Is this the next step on his road to becoming a manager? I, I guess that ultimately heads... Heads would roll if results didn't work out, and that would be across the board. So it's with immediate effect, isn't it? Like it's not like at the end of the season. So I mean, at least you could say you look at what happened. You've got a brilliant last result. Okay, it's the FA Cup, but it's round one. So you'd yeah. be very proud, and you've held a team that's in theory what two, three divisions above. Three divisions above, and you've held them fifty-five places above. I think. And you've only lost 3-1 to them. And as you said, you could have been 2-1 up at half the time. So, you know, something to be very proud with because, yeah, no what, no, no, no matter what happened, um, what happens in a league, obviously, as we said, as a Worthing fan, it has been really disappointing. But as we all know, it, we're down. We're all locked down now, we're, we're in theory. Um, step three and below, we can't go and see matches, which is obviously, you know, at least this time there is some football on TV as we, I know I was telling you, Trevor, on the way back from uh, Three Bridges on Tuesday night. But at the end of the day, do you think maybe uh, this lockdown is going to be easier or better? Do you think we'll get back on a second? I think we will. I'd be surprised, to be honest, if we don't. I can't see any reason why the, this, this whole four weeks will be enough time if that's what they're aiming for to suppress the spread you know it's hard to know what their aim is actually to you know to get to this having spoken to a few people I think a lot of leagues around the country are quite comfortable that they've played and and a good percentage of games I think uh, Nick alluded to in the interview that the, the uh, Ishmael have played between I think 23 and 25 percent of games so they're quite comfortable extending into May even into June you know as you said people I think would be more happy going and watching a game in May with the T-shirts and shorts on than they will in the middle of, you know, uh, December. So it may, it may come as a little bit of a, a bit of a blessing. Um, I think the only thing that is going to cause a bit of a problem, which he alluded to as well, is the soft tissue injuries that players struggled coming back from that short pre-season um, and rushing back in. Oh, you were fun that, Trevor, because you just said uh, you think we're going to get back in this early December. And then you said the season could be extended and people would rather go in a T-shirt and watch games in the middle of December. <laughs> oh, did I? Sorry, I meant in May. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm hoping I'm hoping we get out on the 2nd of December because that's my birthday, so I want to get to the pub. And I'm Absolutely. And, and the, the, the difference with this lockdown and, and the, only, the, the only changes I can see is They've stopped, they've stopped our sport. They've stopped a lot of people's sports. Closed the pubs, closed the restaurants. Apart from that, 
um, unnecessary shops. Apart from that, I'm seeing the roads are just as busy. Yep. Um, so not a lot has changed. I understand why they want to do it. But at the same time, you're like, we were going to football. It was a safe environment. Again, in the interview that you've done, Trevor, with Nick, you, you alluded to those points that you you feel safe in grounds, et cetera. So, yeah, so this, this lockdown is a confusing one for me, to be honest. I think as we were saying off the air, doing some driving around at night when delivering, I can see that the roads are a lot more quiet and that's probably from the social side. There's no restaurants open. There's no sort of everyone's... Well, I, would, I wouldn't I would even say people, many people getting takeouts this time because, you know, people can actually go and collect now, whereas in the first lockdown everything was shut and only certain places I, as you know as Trev knows as Pete knows I was delivering for Domino's during the original lockdown at night and that was one of the only takeaways that was allowed to open as you know McDonald's was shut Burger King was shut Subway was shut all the big chains were shut and Domino's and Pizza Hut for some reason were allowed to carry on delivering only um, I, I just think with this lockdown is I feel I feel frustrated again as per usual because you know we're the only ones that allow fans in fair enough we couldn't and we couldn't continue without any fans in that league but I just think we're getting a raw deal again. Mm. Do we not? Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I think that um, I do think that this lockdown it really is kind of a just it's just a circuit break. Um, I'm seeing a lot of traffic in the northeast. Um, the roads last week were absolutely packed. I, I, I just think that in general, people, the vast majority of people, um, who have abided by the rules are now very much clued up in how to behave. They know how to social distance. They know how to stay safe, as it were. Um, and they're just kind of just basically, I think, counting down the days to the end of it and just wanting to get on with normal life. The news today that there's a vaccine just about ready. It's got people have just had enough. And let's go back to some kind of normality with sensible behaviour. Um, people who say, oh, well, it's the youngsters, it's people in pubs, it's, it's students. My One of my theories is if you tell a, a teenager, an 18 or 19-year-old person that they can't do something, they'll go out and do it. Yeah. Regardless, if you say, right, you can go out and do it now, they'll probably do something else that they can't ordinarily do. Um, so I think the, the general public have to be trusted. The football fans can be trusted, and let's just get back to the grassroots and 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 and, uh, and non-elite sport. Let's lead into the part one of the interview with uh, Ismian League uh, chairman Nick Robinson, which uh, Trevor sat down with early in the week. Some really good points that are coming up, and I know you enjoyed this, Trevor. So uh, enjoy, guys. Are you PNLP? Today on the Premier Non-League podcast, we've got Nick Robinson, who is the chairman of the Pitching In Ishmian League. Welcome, Nick. Thank you very much for your time today. Hi, good to speak with you. Obviously, plenty to sort of cover this, this, this afternoon while we're recording. And I'd like to start off actually and say, well done to all you guys on getting the grounds um, secure and everything for football to restart. I mean, I've visited Seven Oaks, East Grinstead, Three Bridges, Horsham, Whiteleaf, Chichester, Lewis, East Thurrock since the beginning of September. Uh, eight clubs I've been to, and um, I haven't felt less secure this time around as I did back in March. How hard was the process for you guys and the clubs to get it all in place to begin again? I think that, I mean, I can I say, first of all, I'm delighted to hear what your experience is because some of the official feedback we get is not quite as positive. 
and and it has caused me some worry on the first day of the season. I'm sorry, I will I will get around to answering your question. But <laughs> on the first day of the season, um, I went to one of our clubs and there was precious little evidence in place. And I, I had to take the chairman on one side after the game and say, look, you know, here's you, this is what I sent out. You know, th- this is the guidance. What are you actually doing? And he, suddenly the center, there's a sound of a penny dropping. Um, and he said, I'm really sorry. And we got an email the next week, that for, sort of three days later, detailing everything that, that he was doing. Um, yeah. And it was super. But uh, I think, you know, what we did was we had a, a tremendous amount of support from the Football Association. You know, the FA put out guidelines for every club. So they circulated it to the leagues. We disseminated it to the clubs. The first thing of, of having to do a COVID assessment, <clears throat> point a COVID-19 officer, that sort of thing. We had one club that said, well, we're not going to. They said, uh, you know, we're concerned that if we appoint a COVID-19 officer, that that person is going to be legally liable. And then if something goes wrong, we could find a lawsuit against that person. So I actually took that up in my capacity as an FA council member through the Alliance Committee. I took that up and we got an answer back from legal department, which we put back to that club. And they're very happy about it. So, again, what we've, we we tried to meet clubs' expectations. And I, I, I send out a, a sort of monthly newsletter to, to my clubs after each board meeting. And during the summer, I was sending them out far more regularly than, than, than once a month. But keeping everybody informed and the feedback we get is, thank you, you're telling us what's happening. And I think that's really, really important. Communication, particularly in, in times of oppression, is just so important. So that's what we do. We, you know, we, we, we write out, Kelly as my chief executive, sends out stuff she gets from, from the FA. We, we send it out straight away to the clubs and you know we, we ask for their for their support and we say to them look you know it's great 19th of September looming um you know we said it's really important we get back playing yes uh you know initially we, we were worried about the the um uh, numbers that were going to be allowed in but once they'd had their test match then that they could go to the 300 or 600 uh, sorry the 400 or 600 um and and that in the vast majority of cases meets our, our requirements so it was uh, hopefully it was like pushing against an open door with the vast majority of clubs saying you know please do this and i think the you know, we, we, we came up with Eve Pass for a lot of clubs, yeah. um, but then the NHS came out with their own, um, with their the, 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 the app, um, which I think virtually every club now has. Um, I think one of the difficulties has been the, the, the dressing room uh, requirements. Yeah. yeah. So the pre-season matches and, and what I did, you know, pre-season matches were behind closed doors. But what I did was I went to one of our local clubs and because uh, I'm, I'm a qualified referee. So I, I went in as an assistant referee for two of their matches just to see how it worked. And, you know, in, in those matches with, behind closed doors, you know, the, the, the two teams were changing behind the goals and all that sort of thing, which is fine. In August, it's absolutely great. Ask them to do it in November with, okay. with the plunging temperatures we've got at the moment. It's not such an easy thing. But, you know, it, it is one of those things that it was very strict. August, September, it was very strict. I think we've got a little bit lax. I think people have got used to it sort of thing. And it does worry me that not everybody is doing everything they can in accordance with the guidelines. Look, you, you, you've been to all those grounds. 
I, I, I'm absolutely certain that not everybody was standing two meters apart from no, everybody I agree else. With that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've, um, you know, and to be honest, I've been, I've, I've managed 26 games from step three right the way down to step seven in, in, in the two months we've been allowed to go in. You know, while I myself, you've done nearly as many as me then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I normally do 20 to 25 across the whole season at various levels from national league down, so not too bad. Um, I think while myself, I'm comfortable with everything I've you know encountered in um i worked all the way through the pandemic hasn't been any hasn't been maybe a lot of change for me so maybe you know i feel maybe i I see things a little bit more skewed than some people do but there will be those people i think that are just happy to you know to turn up they'll do exactly as they did last season before we got to march i'm not quite sure Look, it is about the confidence and that's why i said originally i'm delighted to hear you say you're confident about Mm. it what we've got to get is that confidence over to um, every age group. You yeah. know, you're, you're in a younger age group um, than our, um, our profile average um, uh, spectator is, is actually older than you. Mm. And it's, it's that person that we've got to get convinced. Those who are worried to come out of their houses, we've got to say to them, you're not only safe to come out of your house, you're safe to come to our grounds. We are doing this. We are taking temperatures. We are NHS um, app, or we're asking you to, to, to give us um, your, your, your contact details so that we can do tests and trace. Um, you know, all those things. I don't think it's practical to be, if I'm very honest, to ask people to stand a metre or even two metres apart at a match. It's not going to happen. Mm. Let's be realistic. So if we do at least restrict the numbers that gives us some opportunity of of people moving around i've actually been to a huge number of step five and six grounds um first of all um i went to some before we started and i carried that on because i actually wanted to see where they were going and and i was taking the opportunity to see you know our future grounds you know the 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 step five and six grounds that i haven't been to so far and, and i have now been to a lot more um that, that uh, you know, I, I wanted to make sure what they were doing. And, and I have to say the vast majority do do it very well. Mm-hmm. I agree, yeah, very much with that. The current situation, obviously, we've got four weeks now without any football. Was it something that when we started back in September that you envisaged we, we would definitely get? It may happen once, it may happen twice throughout the season. We, um, before the 19th of September, we had, first of all, I mean, we had so many meetings, but but we had a strategy set out for the Trident League. So yeah. Northern Prem, Southern uh, and, and ourselves, we sat down together and said, look, what are we going to do? If there is an interruption, how are we going to deal with it? And at that stage, we hadn't got the 19th of September in our diaries. So we had got what would happen at certain start dates, even up to the fact that if we didn't start by the 24th of October, we would be looking to do a split of divisions. Yeah. Um, so it's to split our 20 club divisions to 10 subdivisions, two subdivisions of 10 each, play those so that there would be lesser games. Yes, we, we have, we've tried to anticipate all things, but, you know, we, we got started. We've done, what, 23, 24% of fixtures, um, which I think is great. Yeah. I, I share the cynicism, dare I say, of so many that we're not going to get back on the 2nd of December. But even if we do, you know, even if the government say 2nd of December, you can come back in. We are then going to have to consult with our clubs 
and say, well, how, how long do you need? I mean, we've probably got to give them at least a week just to get their, because their, 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 their players, they can't even meet with their players. Mm. So yes, they can do Zoom calls, but that's not the same. They need to get their their, their players into a club atmosphere, even from, from a fitness point of view. You know, mm. you hope that the players are keeping themselves fit during this time uh, and that, uh, you know, given a week, couple of training sessions, that they're back in the zone, that they're able to 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 continue. And I think that, uh, you know, so so we're thinking that it's probably the second Saturday in December we might get our fixtures back on. Then you've got the FA will be calling for the trophy and Vars matches mm. to, to, to be played. So, you know, it, 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 it is, uh, it's quite a challenge, but we have got all those ideas to fall back on. So all the, all those thoughts that we had, you know, and, and look, you know, if, if we don't start until January, you know, where are we going to go? I think at the moment I'm looking at it and saying, well, the National League intends to go to the end of May. I would certainly want to do that. And, you know, clouds and silver linings. Well, you know, if I offer you the opportunity to go in May, to, to watch your football or to freeze to 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 the end um in in November I think you and I both prefer to go in May and we'll go every night in May <laughs> so I think that there is a positive to that and to be honest if we have to go into June all right well that's what we'll do hmm. because it, it look it is so important that we complete this season so far as we can we don't want a null and void we don't want to do points per game we want to actually complete a season um and get promotion and relegation hmm. I, I think that you know I, I I can't stress too heavily how important that is because if we had two seasons of stagnation, I think it would be really, really disheartening, for, particularly for those clubs who are investing heavily in, 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 in their squads and really, you know, determined for um, uh, promotion and, and to, to, to better themselves. It, it, it would be a disaster for them. So we do understand it and, and we are going to do our absolute utmost to get promotion and relegation at the end of the season. Going back to the 2nd of December, obviously we're all hoping that that's going to be when we head back out on the pitch. I don't personally think it won't be that day. It'll be then. If clubs come back and say, well, actually, we may not train for four weeks, but if we go back on previous seasons, we probably would have lost all four Saturdays to the weather. Um, we're happy to go from, say, the middle of that week or, or that Saturday. Would that have to be a collective league thing or would there be allowance for clubs if you want to go away you go? I think that, um, you know, there's a number of things we have to think about. In previous seasons, yes, they would have missed those Saturdays, yep. but they would have had training. They would have had their players. They would have had access to their players. They would have been able to make sure that their players were fit. The one thing that um, has come back to us is that the incidence of soft tissue injuries yep. is is has doubled or trebled clubs are all coming back it's hamstrings it's this it's that um so so the soft tissue injury has really um exploded and what one of the things that i think we're learning uh, and and you know a, a lot will be pleased to hear this is that we're worried about player safety in the past you know we, we we've had you know bad winters and clubs have played four games in six days and that sort of thing to finish a season that's no more that can't continue you know it, it was said on various occasions to me oh you've got to think about the players and to be honest 10 years ago yeah no we just got to get the games played. Whereas now it's absolutely right. We have to think about those players. We are trying to introduce the rule that actually limits the number of games that a club will play. Okay. Yeah. So 
I think if if our, you know a second of December, and I think what well, is at the fifth, I think is the Saturday. Yeah, yeah. If two clubs are due to play each other, A and B come to us and say we're fit, we're ready, uh, uh, we we've done this with our players, we we both agree to play. I think we would be foolish to say no, you can't. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of it is about I said what uh, earlier about communication, and I think this is. This is not us to be dictatorial one way or the other, to say you will play or you won't play. I think it's us talking to clubs and saying, OK, is everybody safe? And that's what we've got to do in the same way as we want our spectators safe, we want our players safe. So I would, I would hope that if two clubs want to play, that we will let them play. The Premier Non-League Podcast. Part one of Nick Robinson's interview, part two, come up very shortly. It is interesting to hear how he was, the story behind getting fans back into grounds, because all of us in this chat right now can feel very aggrieved at what happened, how the season was ended last season. We were all in particularly good places, obviously Worthing, top of the league, South Shields, top of the league. Yes, we still had eight games to play, but... I think we were going to make it and you know the strength of the start of this season has proved that we are doing well and we could be up there but it's a way of getting fans back into grounds do you think? Interesting with the debate obviously they had this, this afternoon in, in Parliament by all accounts I, I didn't watch it I've heard it was actually the points were put across very well there is still no resolution by the looks of things as to when they're going to carry on with these pilots obviously quite difficult at the moment bearing in mind they put us into it to a four week lockdown but I think a lot of people are expecting that once we come out of that four weeks not just everyone goes back in at, at, at the levels we've had from the beginning of September but there starts to be some progress made for the clubs a bit a bit, a bit higher up the pyramid as well. well we like to think that obviously with the news today when we record of there looks like there's going to be a, a vaccine coming soon which has been coming for a long time and you know as I've said to a lot of you guys personally on a personal level it would probably mean the best Christmas present for me I don't care about anything else because you know it affects all of our job my livelihoods travels you know and it's affected me personally as well as everyone. Um, and it's affected us as football fans. So a vaccine comes in. Obviously, it's going to be a period of time. It's not going to be imminent and we can't. Everyone's not going to be vaccinated from the 1st of January. But part of me thinks that it's going to be a new year, new start. And that's maybe when they roll this out. And Do you think we'll see fans again in bigger grounds like the, the step one, step two of the leagues before the end of the season? Or do you think the season's pretty much a write-off at that level? I would I, I would say probably um, that, you know, the elite, elite football, I would think they're going to be waiting until February or March, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got to roll out the vaccine. You've got to have a first dose and potentially a second dose. You have to wait a certain amount of time between each one to wait for the second one. Also, one thing that was discussed in, a, in an article I read yesterday was the fact that, for instance, Manchester United have said that they could get 23 or whatever it is, thousand in Old Trafford. But how do you get 23,000 to the ground at, at different stages on transport, etc., when people are advised not to use public transport, etc., etc.? It's so uh, certainly it, it may well be Premier League and Championship may well have to write off the whole season. Who knows? But um, leagues one and two, you might see a slightly diff different formula. But then again, if you look at um, League One, you've got the likes of Ipswich, Portsmouth, Sunderland, who themselves have big gates. So February, March at the earliest, I would like to see from a purely a selfish perspective, speaking from a South Shields perspective, I would like to see us go back to at least 600 in the ground rather than 300. And at least then all the season ticket holders can get in, plus a few non-season ticket holders to build a bit of atmosphere. That would be good. That would be a start. I think a little bit points on what you've said, Chris, there. I know when the, uh, when the Germans went through getting people back in, it was staggered, it was staged, it was maybe, I'm not quite sure if it was done by, by surname, 
through season mm. ticket holder, but everything went quite quite nicely to plan with that. And having read through it, I thought that's that's something you could easily do in this country. However many fans you're going to put into a ground, whether it's a thousand, five thousand, or you go twenty three thousand season ticket holders. I've watched the NFL since since week one when it uh, when it began. Um, quite a few franchises actually at the very beginning adamant they were going to have no supporters in at all. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles changed their stance about three weeks in, and, and again they've done it in they've done it in stages. They've started seven and a half thousand, five thousand in. You know you think their stadiums hold minimum of sixty thousand, all of them. If, if you watch the Cowboys every every other week, twenty five thousand in a ninety two thousand seater stadium really does you know dwarf it, but it all fits nicely. I can't see why we can't follow yeah. something along that kind of process. It hasn't got to be exact because we're not the NFL, we're the Premier League, the Football League, the National League, but it can be done. And we need to start at some point getting that to happen because there, I know there are clubs above our level into the Football League that are struggling to see beyond Christmas that there's going to be a club to go into 2021 with. Absolutely, yeah. Do you think they might uh, use the playoffs as a trial? Do you think they could, you know, the end of season playoffs at Wembley, big stadium? I, th- I think I think what they've got to do is to commit to January to, to start in these pilot schemes. Different clubs around the country, because everyone's got different size ground, they've got different facilities and the way they do it. If they can ma- marry that maybe for January, February, March, so you've covered every scenario or as far as you can get across the entire spectrum, there's a chance maybe April and May you can start to build it up that little bit more. So when you get to the playoff finals, as you say, at Wembley, you can then extend that a little bit further because you've got the bigger stadium to be able to do it. Yeah. I, I watched with interest the um, AFL grand final in Brisbane. They, they had 29,000 in the Gabba. So that worked well. You know, there'd been fans in throughout the um, playoff series, there'd been fans in general league games at that level, of course, but... There was 29,000 in the Gabba. Atmosphere was electric. It was by no means full, but it can be done. Uh, and that's Brisbane. It wouldn't happen in... That's why it was played in Brisbane. The, the finals normally played in Melbourne, but obviously Mel- Victoria were in a kind of lockdown. So it can be done. It can't. Where there's a will, there's a way. Absolutely. Yeah, it just needs a bit of a bit of forethought and foresight. Like you said on the last podcast, uh, Chris, about your season tickets you do you do the letter system and there's yeah. no reason that the the the, the, higher, the higher clubs the higher clubs can't do that and like say it is managing spectators outside the ground but as i think i said before you could stagger the times telling him when to arrive yes yes and, and at the moment obviously pub, pubs are closed and everything so you know I'm, it's not like twenty thousand people are going to go into the town center and bombard all the pubs no so Let's get it on. You know what I mean? I guess you could say maybe you have to be in a period of, but by that time, if they're not in the ground at that time, you're not going to get in. Again, we've just got to get used to it. We've got to move on. Life has got to move on. And we can't keep on doing this because if we're still doing this in three, four months' time, the country is going to be so bad and it's going to be even screwed than it is now. So, you know, something's got to be done. Correct. But going on from that, we're going to Nick Robinson's part two of the interview with Trevor. Uh, enjoy the rest of it and you'll see what the future is for this season for the Usman League and I'm sure other leagues around the country. Enjoy.
putting the FA hat on now, with obviously the trophy in the vase, he's now going to be a two or three weeks maybe behind. Is there a more look again to push that to midweek games as it was with the FA Cup at the start of the season? There hasn't been a discussion so far. I mean, obviously, um, it, 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 it's it's relatively new, yeah. certainly in FA terms. You know, it, it's it's like turning a ta- an oil tanker mid-ocean. Mid, mid <laughs> um, uh, so so it, it's hit us. I mean, we had the last round of the trophy and Vars last Saturday. Yeah. So Monday we did the draw. And, you know, all we did at that stage was to say... Um, we're undating. We're not putting a date on the rounds. So I think that you know, when it comes to it, we'll just look at what is the the the, the best way of approaching it. Um, yes, it's important, and and those clubs that are left in the competition, you know, that they get a tremendous amount of finance out of it, winners and losers now. Yeah. And I think that you know that that's been a substantial uh, benefit to everybody over the last couple of years to bring in the losers' money, and. I think that, um, you know, clubs want to play those matches. So, um, yes, league, league, league matches are important and, and, you know, league points are important, but so is the competition where they're going to earn money that will get, get them um, paying their debts. And I know you mentioned earlier with the fixtures of going into May, going into June, and, uh, you know, quite rightly, I think people would much rather be, you know, putting sun cream on in, in May to watch a game than they would put in the uh, bubble hat and gloves on in November. Um, how much break would you say the league itself could cope with without there being a fixture backlog, even if we do go into May or June, if we don't resume on the second? It, it's, it's almost impossible to, to say that to you. Um you know, it, it, it was intended to be a. a we, we normally have a thirty-eight or forty-week season. Yeah. Um. I think we're down to twenty-six or something like that. I mean, at the end of the day, so long as so long as we've got enough dates to 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 get the matches in, we, we, we'll achieve it. Um. You know, if if we go from January to the end of May, that's five months. You know, um, that will give us plenty of time. Um. To, to play, uh, I think the most anybody's played is 10 matches. Yeah. So from, from a 38-week season, 28 matches to play, 28 matches in five months is good, so long as we don't have a really bad winter. Hmm. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah, yesterday I went, I went out and, and there was, I went out for a walk and there's berry, uh, berries on the holly. I never said, oh, that's, that's going to be a bad winter. And you think, oh, no, not on top of everything else, please. I think, though, after the last two or three winters, though, where we have had it pretty poor, we are due, you know, a very good one. So fingers crossed, you know, we're not going to end up with that this year. But well, well, the only thing I would say to you is that yeah. in, 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 in London and the South East, we haven't had a bad one. No, no, not very you know, bad. We, 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 we've had it quite easy the last two or three winters, so it yeah. could be the other way around in this, in this geographical area. Fingers crossed not. I'm going to yeah. touch on, obviously, last season we went null and void with everything. Um, I've, I've um, mentioned on, on a blog article I did, which I write myself, um, which I, I'll quickly plug while I'm here. It's www.footballwriting.blog. Um, hindsight can check you out. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, it, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, and with the fact we've played, teams have played roughly about, as you say, eight to 10 games this season, which was roughly what we had last year. Do you think sort of like looking now, we think, well, maybe we could have finished last season 
in this two months we've had. We're having the break now. And then we start with a truncated 2021 season. I think that, um, as you say, hindsight is great, you know, uh, and, and we can have 2020 vision, particularly this year. But, you know, at, as things happened in February and March, first of all, they happened very, very quickly. Yeah. Secondly, they'd never happened before. We all had to think on our feet. We, I, I, I told the story before that um, I, I had a meeting down at our offices in Dartford. As I drove there, I dictated a note to go out to clubs. On the way back, it was out of date. That's how quickly things were happening. Yeah. And I think that um, the way we would have looked at it, it sorry, if we look at it this year, I think we'll look at it totally differently than we would 12 months ago with that yeah. experience. So with, with that experience, of course, we have fixed in our head. Well, you know, May we finish fixtures. June, we have an AGM. July, we have pre-season. August, we start again. Those are fixed things that have been, you know, for the last, well, all our, all our administrative lives. So I think that the way we look at things, you know, your, your past history tends to govern how you look at the future. Yeah. So it would have been anathema to, to look at it and say, right, well, we're going to stop now. We'll, we'll restart on the 19th of September. We'll play for six weeks and then we'll add, a aggregate those together to get, get a season. Then we'll have a quick close season and then we'll start again. Everybody would have said, you're mad. Yeah, and, and I've probably been carted off to to, to to the loony bin, but I think that now uh, we would look at it and say we mustn't discount anything. We've actually need to look at anything that is sensible. You know, I've got a couple of my club chairmen who write in. What one wrote in uh, an, an email yesterday saying, you know, when we do get back, can, can we look at uh, reversing fixtures to make sure they're played? You know, if somebody's got a a, a dodgy pitch. Yeah. Can we play it somewhere else? Can we move? We have said, we said at the start of this season, we will be more flexible than we have ever been before. Um, the two Saturdays um, previous to, 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 to last Saturday, we, we had a couple of matches off um, in the Essex area for um, uh, waterlogged pitches. Yeah. We'd already got in contact with those clubs and said, look, if you want to move fixtures, you can. Whereas in the past, we would have said, no, 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 what's happening with your pitch? We've got to do this, we've got to do that. Yeah. What we're saying is, can we get those matches played? We're not going to stand on ceremony. We're not going to We're not going to fine you or anything else. They're not having your pitch in a good condition. We just need to get the fixtures played. So if you want to move it to a pitch that will be able to accommodate it, whether it's 3G or whatever, we will work with you on that. So mm -hmm. I think we, we try to look at every eventuality and we're trying not to not to be the league of 10 years ago that that was you know cast iron don't we don't change it all we do it's always done this way and that's how we'll always do it we're looking at all different ways to ensure that the experience is good from everybody's point of view do you think that with what's gone on for the last six months or so it's been a very big wake-up call to football not just at our level at, at non-league but right from the top at the premier league right the way down to the bottom as to how things operate and the way things are done yeah, you know, it, it, obviously I, I don't have much to do with the, with the professional game. Yeah. But, but I think it's it certainly, it, if they have any percentage of the wake-up call that we've had in the non-league game, um, then uh, it would be good for the game as a whole. Um, you know, who would have thought 
that we could sustain a season with no spectators. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, it was suggested in the summer, oh, you know, you're, 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 the Premier League won't have um, uh, spectators the whole season. Everybody, you're mad. Well, of course, you're not mad. Um, it is happening. Mm. Yes, they're making mistakes. The, 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 you know, they, they, they've at least uh, you know, come back on, on the streaming service yeah. and said, no, we're not going to do this after, after so-and-so. Um, you know, we, we made a mistake. It's 1495 was wrong. Um, you know, good. Again, let's give credit where it's due that somebody's tried something. Okay, credit to where it's due. You've tried it. You've perhaps got your pricing wrong. But come back, review it, and let's come back with, with something. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it's. I think even Mr. Ashley has said, you know, four ninety five is better than fourteen ninety five. Yeah, uh, and and lots of people would I think at four ninety five, yeah. um, pay that for to 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 watch the match. <clears throat> so I, I think I think the professional game has learned a lot. I think we've learned a lot, and and you know the biggest thing we've learned, well, talk for myself and my league, is that. We have to be flexible. We have to be able to reflect what the clubs do. We, we have to provide a structure within which, you know, that there can't be a great deal of movement, but we've got to be flexible. So, you know, we can't have clubs say, actually, we don't fancy playing Saturday, so we're not, because we've got two clubs to, 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 to think about. And the other club will be saying, well, we want to play. Hmm. You know, we need to play. So uh, we, you have to have a, a firm foundation and a firm structure um, so that everybody can realise. So you, you have your rules, you have your league rules so that a club can go in and say, no, it says we're going to play home and away. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We need to do that. We want to do it. But if, 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 if both clubs agree that they're not going to play on a particular day, then fine. Let's, let's be... Let's be alert to that. I'm, I'm not saying that they would just say, oh, we don't actually, we don't fancy it this week. Or, you know, our star strikers are, are got are going on holiday or he's got a wedding or he, or he's, he's suspended. We're not going to allow it for that. But where there are genuine concerns, particularly on the COVID-19 concerns, and both clubs come to us and say, we, we don't think it's safe to play. Then we, I think we're learning to be more. We're more adaptable. Let, let me put it that way. That's a good word. That's a good word. And then looking more towards the future, do you see much change in the structure and the operational way we we would do things as a football person, as a football family, as we as we move forward past the crisis? Um, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> normally, people say that when they don't know how to answer it, um, and. I, I, I think there will be changes. Yeah. I, I, um, what those changes are, I'm not sure. I think that I think that as people, as clubs come along with streaming ideas, I mean, you look at what the National League are doing yeah. with streams, I think that, you know, there will be a lot of uh, demand to say, keep going with the streaming. We actually prefer to sit at home, have a beer and watch it, than um, actually have to go out and travel and that sort of thing. Now, that's perhaps not what the majority of clubs want because they want the additional spend for somebody actually in their ground. They want to they want to sell them the burger. They want to sell them the the the, the, the pint of beer or the the, the 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 soft drink. They want to do all those things because that's been the historical basis of their financial approach, and it's that that's going to have to change. 
and, and and I think that if if they can get the if they can get the streaming costs right, then that may well be a way to work in the future. You know, some years ago we we, we had a club that put a, a, a budget forward, a playing budget that included money. Um, that we budget to earn so much from uh, FA Cup, FA Trophy, and we say, can't do that. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah, if you lose in the first round, your budget's totally out, uh, out of the kilter. Now, 10 years on, we do allow it because there's losers' fees. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 the, the game is ever-evolving. The financial model changes every season. You know, I think the, the other thing we will be looking at is 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 the um the, the player contract i mean it, it's something that's been on our radar for for a couple of years this brings to the fore that it's really important that the if we're going to contract a player then we need to be able, on both sides it, it's got to be flexible because you know if, if the player contracts covid19 you know we need to be able to say well you're not going to get paid Mm. <laughs> which is tough because, but it's the same as you know you go down with a bad cold you can't play Saturday we're not going to pay you it's it's that sort of thing we've got to look at it and we've got to line it up with employment law um, furloughing all those things we need to protect clubs and we need to protect players so somehow we, we've got to find a median point but we do need to make sure that a club that in good faith, signs the player in August, as we had. You know, um, we, we didn't start playing till 19th of September. Well, those yeah. clubs that said, oh, well, we'll pay you from where we sign you and had no income, they've suffered. Mm. We need to look at the contracts. And so I think that is another way in which the game will change. You know, we, we have winter wages and summer wages, that sort of thing. Maybe it's just going to be when you play a match, because, you know, I can see that uh, the the closed season is going to get a lot shorter. Yeah. Last year it was, oh, we can't possibly play into May or June. What will happen to pitches? And everyone, yeah, yeah, because, of course, we've always had our three, three months to get our pitch ready. Well, maybe this year it's turned out they had six months, but the, the groundsmen are all saying... Yeah, I could have done that in two months. Oh, well, I could have done that in six weeks. Yeah, it's that sort of thing that that I think that we're learning as we go along. And and I think that those those are things that a, a lot of administrators haven't necessarily always thought about it in the past. But we have got to come down and say, with grass pitches, how, what is the minimum time? You know, I think we're we're fortunate in one way in the Isthmian League that we have a, a huge number of 3G pitches yeah. and, and they're growing all the time. Um, so, you know, from that, from their point of view, it, it's quite good to have that and they, they could sustain 12-month football, but grass pitches couldn't. So so we, we have got to look at that. We, we have got to think, is there a way that, that you know, is there a happy medium? Um, but certainly I, I think that we may well be looking in future times not necessarily for you know last Saturday in April to be the last league matches. Nick, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you joining on me, me on the uh, Premier Non-League podcast, and hopefully we'll have have you on again before the end of the season as well to catch up. And hopefully it won't be at the end of another lockdown as well. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> yeah, and let's hope it's not another null and void. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope not as well. well thanks very much. It's Brilliant. been, been a great you, pleasure talking to you.
the Premier Non-League Podcast. Fantastic part two of that interview there, Trev, with Nick Robinson. Thank you for uh, doing that. And hopefully we'll have you on at the end of the season once it's been completed. And just thank you for being part of the Premier Non-League Podcast with us this week. So, chaps, FA Cup, obviously we've already seen Mr. South Shields up there. He's happy that his club played well in the round one. Have we had any other shocks this weekend that you were surprised of? Yeah, quite Massive. a few. Pick, picked out quite a well. All the non-league sides that, that did fantastically well. Chorley, Barnet, Solihull Moors, Boreham Wood, Dagenham, Kings Lynn. And then you've got Marine and Canvey Island at step four as, as well. Watched Canvey Island, watched Barnet as well on Saturday and Sunday. Um, very, you know, these sides have, you know, to play well without fans being in the, in the stadium when they, you know, the Canvey Islands and, and Marines have been used to it for the last, you know, eight weeks or so. And then to, to turn up, put in a performance, getting themselves into the next round of the hat. Can't ask for much more than that, really. Your very own Barnet, didn't it? Very own Barnet went through 1-0 yeah. win. Yeah, that's my first first look at them this season, actually. First time I've been able to, to stream a game because obviously I've normally been at, you know, somewhere else on a Saturday afternoon. So um, obviously uh, Peter Beadle's put a, put, put a squad together. It's still not still not quite there yet, um, but I was quite quite impressed. Played with 10 men for 47-odd minutes as well. Uh, I mean, Burton are struggling. Probably a good time to play them. But no, I was quite I was quite quite impressed with the way they played and uh, drawn MK Dons out the hat for the second round at the Hive. And Chris, up north, any cup shocks that you were quite pleased to see? Obviously yourselves going out, but anyone else you're rooting for and happy to see going into round two? Marine, uh, Northern Premier League, league uh, division below, South Shields, a massive, massive win to go away from home and to do what they did to hold on to penalties and then win the penalty shootout. It's just you know, it's what the cup is about. But like I said earlier, you know, it was—it just felt kind of without without the atmosphere. It's not the same. I mean, just can you imagine going away from home with a with an army of fans winning a penalty shootout? Pure bedlam. Would they have won away from home? Obviously, with fans, because obviously the home side will have their own supporters in. But it just—I I was saying before we came on air, saying to Trev, you know, just it, the whole weekend just felt a bit diluted to me. Um, when I was watching games on TV, it just, just, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like FA Cup first round day to a certain extent because without fans, particularly for non-league clubs at home, uh, just didn't feel the same. But Marines, but, Marines uh, win was exceptional. I mean, you got to look. It just felt weird that round one anyway because obviously they made an exception for those clubs that are currently postponed the suspended league uh, step three and below. So. You know, it's these moments that, you know, these fans might not get. And I know some of these non-league teams would. So, I mean, I know for yourself, you'd have loved to be cheering. And it's so gutting that you can't do it just because of what's going mm, on. Absolutely. There would have been a thousand Shields fans down at Cheltenham minimum. Um, no doubt about it. It was good watching it on the, you know, we had the, a live stream. Interesting to watch it on um, like an EFL-based live stream. Radio commentary. BBC Radio Gloucestershire. It was strange watching a match on TV whilst having radio commentary. So much talk when you can actually see the play. Yeah. But so, but it was still a good experience, and the players had a great weekend. They stayed overnight down in uh, in Cheltenham, so they had a you know it was a great experience for them. But as I say, absolutely thrilled for Marine, a great club, some good people around around the club, some lovely fans, and um, so just thrilled for them. No, it's great to see. And those, those, that's the magic of the FA Cup. That is the magic. That's uh, the magic. And it's just the same good experience. But, yeah. 
And I see that um, Marine have been awarded a home tie against Haven's and Waterlooville. So mm-hmm. Haven and Waterlooville is just down the road from us, here. So yeah. they've so they've got a hell of a trek up to to Marine for the for the next Absolutely. round. Merseyside. I think as well, Pete, just sort of carrying on from that, watching the draw this evening, a lot of the non-league clubs got a little bit hard done by in the gym and some of the, you know, some of the way they got pulled out tonight. Chorley off to Peterborough, the highest ranked team in the competition at the top of League One. Kings Lynn at Portsmouth is a cracking game for Kings Lynn. Uh, you say you've got Marine and Haven at Waterlooville. There actually will be three guaranteed non-league sides in the third round as well with uh, Canvey against Boreham Wood and Stockport against Yeovil as well so there definitely will be non-league representation in the third round which is good as well for this year Fantastic And that's what we love to see uh, you know I'd, I'd just love to see always with big TV ties in the third round you know there was those matches Arsenal a few years ago Arsenal Lincoln Sutton United wasn't it uh, Sutton yeah who did they play yeah I think it was Arsenal at home wasn't it yeah, it was yeah. with the with the yeah. pie. The yeah. Oh pie. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Pie gate, pie gate, and you know you just love. <laughs> it's very, it's very true, very true. Um, but obviously, uh, the game in the round has got to be yesterday's Torquay five, Crawley six, mm. and I, I actually watched this, and I've I've never seen Mental. a game like it. But, um, obviously, Torquay went 2-0 up in the first half. There was a bad injury in the first half, a head injury, which delayed the game for, for twenty virtually 20 minutes. Um, and then, basically, Crawley got back into it in the 83rd minute with a penalty. Um, and then they, they scored a, an equaliser on 90 plus 14 minutes. <laughs> then Torquay went ahead again in the 90 plus 18 minutes. And then Crawley equalised in the 90, 90th plus 21st minute. So obviously you got 3-3. Free, free. <laughs> and, and then there was another penalty, two more penalties for um, Torquay. So they went ahead again. And then three goals from uh, Crawley in the last sort of 10 minutes uh, <laughs> puts them through. Absolutely crazy game of football. It, Absolutely it crazy good. game. Sounded it. It would have been a good one to watch. I never actually watched the match. What was the reason again for the um, so much extra time? Was there an injury? Yeah, an injury, head injury. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you, you very rarely see that amount of uh, injury time anyway. But to be so dramatic in the extra time was unreal. Yeah, but I can imagine Torquay kicking themselves twice of the two goals ahead, and then to throw it away at the end of the second half, and then at the end of extra time as well must be sickening. And they're flying high in the national league at the moment. They are yeah, are indeed. They are. Well, leading on to for, uh, talking about the FA Cup, I know uh, Warren Barton has had many runs in the FA Cup, especially for Newcastle. So Trev, busy Trev, busy B, he uh, he he met he met up with uh, Warren Barton via Zoom this week, all the way from the US of A. I think that must be our most glamorous interview location so far. I would uh, I would imagine we've had we've had the Midlands, we've had uh, South London, and now we've got San Diego in the USA. So over to Warren Barton. Are you PNLP? So here we are today. I've got Warren Barton with me. Warren's had quite a, a career himself in the Premier League, played for England, but started himself in non-league as it is. And here he is on the Premier Non-League podcast. Warren, thank you very much for your time today. 
pleasure. Thanks for having us. It's a difficult time for everybody, but it's it's nice to maybe reminisce a little bit and think about the good times and, you know, hopefully they'll come back sooner rather than later and, you know, memorise a little bit of what's gone on in my career and uh, had a lot of fun. So it was, it was good. So it's nice to speak to, speak to you today. Fantastic. And obviously you started in non-league, you worked your way all the way up to the Premier League. You had a little couple of caps, three caps it was exactly for England. And we'll uh, we'll get through to that as we go along. Starting at, uh, it was Dagenham. Then they weren't quite Dagenham and Redbridge, were they, when you were It was Leytonstone-Ilford. It was yes, just right, going yeah. into Leytonstone-Ilford. So j- just to go back a little bit further than that, I was at, twice I was told in my career I was too small. I was at Watford and then at Leighton Orient, uh, which yeah. was a, a local team to me. I was born in North London, but actually brought up a lot on the uh, on East London. And uh, I was there with Frank Clark, and at 16, uh, people that can remember, I was on the old YTS scheme. Yes, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the government scheme, so £27.50 a week, plus <laughs> expenses. So um, then Frank turned around uh, after the last game of the season and said, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to take you, you're too small. Uh, and a friend of mine who was with me, at, uh, called Chris Snell, who was at, and Kevin Nugent, we was at um, Orient together. Um, and I went down to Leytonstone Ilford at the time, yeah. which was again in Walthamstow. And they played at the old Walthamstow Avenue Stadium, um, just the, uh, the other side of, of Walthamstow where I was living. Um, down the bottom of my road, uh, walked down there. Uh, non-league being non-league, it was, it was full of uh, different type of, you know, whether it was a plumber, builder, different yeah. trades that's there, electrician. And there I was, 16-year-old, probably about five foot three, blonde hair, skinny as anything turning up for uh, for non-league practice. Um, they had, you know, uh, John Steele at the time is very well known in long, non-league yeah. circles at, at that time. Uh, John was there and had another really good coach non-league time with uh, Ted Harding, yes. um, who was a wonderful, wonderful man uh, and a great character um, in non-league football, in football in general, um, and had the chance to go down there and slowly earn the right to, to play. Um, and I had a couple of years there where we were successful and, and won a couple of non-league uh, leagues at that time, the Southern Premier. And it was the best thing for me uh, to go into that changing room, as I said, with a policeman, electrician, a, a builder. Um, and if we lost, uh, that £5 bonus was affecting everybody <laughs> that weekend. So um, it was a, a great learning curve for me. Uh, it was you know playing at places like Dulwich Hamlet and going to over South London and playing teams. And, you know, at the time, Barnet was obviously the big, I know that's yeah. close to your heart at the moment, was the big non-league team. Um, so it was it was a really encouraging time in the lower leagues. And it was, you know, a massive stadium at Wolfenstein Avenue. I think it's a, it's flats now that's there. Yeah. Uh, but it was a huge stadium and there was about one man and a dog over there. But we had a lot of good time and um, it was a big part of the community as it is now and we're suffering from it. But... From being told you're too small to go and win two back-to-back titles and playing non-league and then moving on to Maidstone uh, with a deal that was um, John was wanting to come back to non-league and I yeah. wanted to play professional. I had a chance to go, actually spoke to Barry Fry and Stan Flashman when they was at Barnet yeah, together. Yeah. And that is, a, that is a double act. Um, <laughs> I was leaving Leighton Stone Hill from where I said we've been successful and uh, Terry Hurlock could play for Wolfhamstow as well. So yeah. you had non-league players there that had come through and uh, spoke to spoke to Barry and Stan as well about going to Barnet. I was going to be on £500 a week. There was a, a signing on fee. There was a car. There was any tickets that I wanted for <laughs> Wim- Wimbledon or any concert that was going on. Yeah. But I went, I, I went to Maidstone um, for 
half the money, £250 a week, to be okay. a professional with uh, Keith Peacock and, yep. and Tommy Taylor, Tommy the Taylor, old West Ham yeah. player. Yeah. Yep. Um, and live the dream, you know, to be a professional getting paid. Although a bit of reality set in because the first couple of days we, they give us a training kit and said, look, you have to take that home and wash it and bring, <laughs> and bring it in every day. So as though it was uh, professional, it was a little bit of non-league as well, which was great. It was great grounding. But Lane Stanford was great. You know, it was the people that would come to the games. You got to know people non-league. Um, and that is the core of our football, our being the English game, the British game. And um uh, I never forget that. As I said, any time that we've had a chance to speak to, you know, non-league, whether it's a podcast or interviews, the likes of myself, Stuart Pearce, Ian Wright, uh, Chrissy Waddle up in in the northeast, we've we've all played uh, and then gone on to represent our country. So it, it just shows you people can come through that avenue as well. But you know, Leighton standing there for there's a couple of pictures if you go on my Instagram that we was there and it was uh, it was a good old days. It, it was fun. It was fun. I'll have, I'll have a look at those later. Have a, have a look at them. And, and as you say, that, that move to Maystone United put you into the Football League, which is what was called Division 4 then, wasn't it? Or the equivalent yes. League 2 now. Um, and that, that one season you had at Maidstone as well was, a, was quite a successful one for the club. Didn't start off well, did it? But it, it got better. Yeah, no, we, we went in, we went up to Peterborough, making my debut. The family went up there and we got... We, we, it was a real learning curve for us. And I think for Keith and Tommy as well, because Peterborough was obviously a well-run football yeah. club. We went up there with a lot of excitement and John Stewart done great with, with uh, Maystone, getting them promoted. And yeah. they was head and shoulders above anybody else. But then that professional mindset uh, of going to Peterborough, um, you know, again, in that fourth tier or the lower tier in the, the football league um, was a learning curve. And we, we, we got a real punch on the nose a couple of times and we've managed to get ourselves together. We had Steve Butler, who was a very intelligent player, Mark Gore up front, Smokey, yep. that he could run like the wind and could score goals. Uh, and we slowly, slowly started like Gary Cooper, left back who played at QPR, starting yep. to get, you know, players back into it. Uh, and obviously myself, you know, we started to get to know each other uh, quickly and, you know, it was fascinating because we went up to Peterborough and it just shows you we've got non-league, but we all had, they spent money. We had blazers on. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, the shirt yeah. and ties, and we we went on the uh, you know British Rail. We got first class going up there, and went and had food, uh, beans on toast in the, the local uh, hotel nearby. So we we was treated properly, you know. That yeah. we was having food and well looked after. Um, and obviously, uh, we we went into that league and. For, for everybody, there was about five or six of us that was new being a professional. Yeah. Um, but lucky enough, at the end of that season, we got into the playoffs and we played against a very, very good Cambridge United team that had uh, Dion Dublin playing for yeah. them. So yeah. it just shows you the, capa and the quality of players that was in there. But uh, And also being Maidstone, we, we was at Dartford. So that was a you know a learning for yeah. as well. Yeah. We being a team and anyone that's seen that field as well, it had a bit of a slope on it. Um but it was brilliant, you know, it was really exciting. Uh, it's everything, my dream, I've been told twice, obviously you're not going to be a pro, uh, but I was, we, we was doing well and uh, you're, you're right, we got a bit of momentum and managed to get in the playoffs. We got knocked out from from um, Cambridge, but it was enough for, for people to come looking at us uh, and looking at the club and looking at players. And with me being, you know, 19, 20, 20 years of age, it was a, uh, it was a, an area that, as I said, give, give me that, that showcase to, to, to move on. I'll ask you about those two players, Butler and Gall. What was it like facing those two in training? It was fun. I mean, Steve was brilliant. You know, he, you'd ask him questions. Smokey could switch it on. In training, he was a liability. He would walk <laughs> around 
he would be shaking his head. And then you had Steve Butler was trying to do the right things. And it was a bit of a, I'm not going to, because I might get hammered for this, but, but like Burkamp and, and Henri. Yeah. You know, one would, one would run and the other yeah. one would do the thinking. And then yeah. they, they worked well together. So they might have been the Henri and Burkamp of, of the non-league but they and the football league. But Smokey was great. He was great with me. I got on really, really well with him and Coops. And, and as I said, Steve was one that I went to to get to that next level. You know, because yeah. Smokey and Gary and that, we was playing for that time and we was having fun and it was great that we was you know, doing well and it was, but Steve could see he'd been around Watford, he'd been at that higher level and he wanted to go on and play himself at that higher level. But he was a very intelligent player, um, miserable as sin. Every yeah. single day, he was moaning about something. It could have been about the sky's too blue, the grass is too green. There was always something going wrong. But as a young player, you sort of just got on with it and that was part of, of, of how we uh, how we played. But we had a really good team spirit. Even now, you know, we, we keep in contact. Not as much as we love, but we, there was a special bond there because it was the first of being in the Football League. You know, yeah. Butts has stayed because he wanted to be a pro and going forward. And there was a couple of other players as well. Tony Pamphlet. Um, that was yeah. I've got a great story with Pamphlet. I can say it now because he's on. not near me. Yeah, he's on. not near me because he would have absolutely wringed my neck if I tell this story. <laughs> I can't remember who he did it, but he was playing centre-half and we was at home. And you can have a look and maybe uh, do a bit of research. He scored an own goal. Yeah, Chesterfield, and I think it is. Chesterfield, okay. Yeah. I knew it was in blue. And it was the, the worst own goal I've ever seen. Because he smashed it into the bottom yeah, corner. Yeah, like I remember. It was a great, yeah. great finish. Yeah. And big Tony Pamphlet's got his hands on his knees. And I won't say my language that he said, but Pamphlet <laughs> went, I don't effing believe this. <laughs> And I, I must have been brave at the time because I put my hand on the back and went, no, nah, nor do I either. And he looked at me as if he was <laughs> going to kill me. And I went running up to the halfway line because it was such a, a great finish. And how he did it, I mean, he never did it in training, but he, he put it into the bottom corner and he's there. And anyone that knows Tony, he was a real man's man. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, as he said, I can't, I can't. And he was really down about it. And I went, I started starting, went, I can't believe it. We <laughs> sort of looked at him and I thought, I better start running because he's going to rip my head off if he catches me. But we had a beer afterwards and I think we ended up, might have even won the game, which was pretty good. 2-2, two, two, I think but, it was. Oh, OK. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah. OK, you've got a great memory. But um, we, didn't, we didn't lose and uh, we, we laughed about it afterwards because, um, again, another really good character. You know, I, I loved him. He was, uh, again, a real... Funny man, you know, non-league, but yeah. give his heart for everything. Give your shirt off his back. Um, so, yeah, good, good people. Really good people. I just want to pick out one more from that sort of era just before we move on as well. Um, Ken Charlery. A lot of people yeah. saw his style as lazy, languid. And obviously I came across him again when he came to when he came to Barnet. The great spell at Peterborough. You know, as players in training, you, you see people, you, you're with them every day. You see something slightly different. Um, but that was a label he seemed to have everywhere, every, everywhere he went, despite, you know, the success and the goals he scored. I think it was his personality, Kenny. He's such a lovely laid back guy. Um, mm -hmm. And he had that, that body language sometimes that people think that he's not really motivated. But it, I tell you, Kenny was into it. He wanted to play. He had a special talent. He yeah. was... He wasn't a typical, if you like, a non-league player. It wasn't just about 100%. He had a gift and he was naturally gifted with it and he had ability. Um, and that little bit of quality that put him around. And I, th I think sometimes he found it difficult that others wasn't on his wavelength. You know, yeah. he would do things or see things and get a little, his body language. But he's, you know, his passion for the game, his, his willingness to win was always there. I never had 
that side of him. But there was that why he couldn't understand why we couldn't do things that he could do. Yeah. Um, and I think that was then a bit of frustration. But as a team member, as a person, and you know, fans obviously see different things, and you know, we see it. But he, you know. I think people realised there was a talent there and it frustrated me. It's like anything. Why can't you do it every week? Why can't you do it every game? Mm. Uh, even with the highest level players now, which, you know, Popper, you know, everybody looks at him and like, yeah. why can't he do it every game? He's got talent. And everyone will say at Manchester United, oh, he's gifted, he's a great lad, he's this, he's that. But as a fan and as a pundit, I look at him and think he, sometimes he can't be bothered. But that's you know, n- never normally the case. And that's the same with Kenny. Kenny was obviously a talented player and you've just reeled off the teams that he played for. Um, so he can't be a bad player because he moved around and people people wanted him around. And uh, as I said, I always found him good to play with. I'd make a run and he could find me and he could finish and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that was my job was just running up and down. I was like a fiddler's elbow. I was, I was fit as anything. <laughs> and it, Kenny probably thought, well, you just keep running and I'll pass you the ball when I think it's the right time. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, that's probably that's probably the first time Kenny Charlie's been mentioned in the same conversation as Paul Pogba, though. So I think he'd be happy with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Steve Butler and Smokey. And Steve Burkham. Butler, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Butler thought he was Burkham, but Smokey wouldn't know who Henry was. He <laughs> <laughs> called him Henry. Yeah. <laughs> now, then, obviously came the £300,000 transfer to Wimbledon. So from fourth division player or League Two to what was then Division One, now the Premier League, and a record at the time, you know, for that. Um do you sort of look at it and think, Christ, the fees players are going for these days to what, you know, to what we went for in those days, you know, I'm playing at the wrong time here? Eh? No, but no, because, I, you know, I, I looked at it at the time, like you said, it was, people said 300000 for a player that's been in the league 10 months and now he's going to the prep, well, either in the Premier League. And, um, you know, you look at Vardy, people say about yeah. Vardy now and say to, well, when they got him for what, at one point, whatever it was, that, that's ridiculous. But at the time when he moved, a million pound for a non-league player, it's like, that's crazy. Trevor mm. Francis, when he when he was the first million pound player. So, it, you know, it's all in perspective of, of where you was at the time and, and how it was. What for me, for someone like Wimbledon, who was always good at getting lower league players... Yeah. For them, it was a record for them to go and pay for that type of money. So for them to go out and spend that on a lower league player at the time was was a, a big, big gamble for them, if you if you like. But I took that as a compliment and um, and went there and played. But I think it's like anything. You look now and you see. I love the fact that people are earning a lot of money and they're gonna if you work for it and if you deserve it. You know, I always think I could. You know, when I was at quick, we're going to go forward here a little bit. But yeah. when I was at Newcastle, yeah. the wages then, and then Alan Shearer walks through the door, or Tina Esprit or David Ginola, you know, it's £50,000 a week, like Roy Keane. They, they go to that. It's like, well, he deserves that. I can see how the way he works, the way he wants to go. He deserves that money. It's the ones that get these big contracts or big signings, and you think, well, they've played five games in the league. They're on 200000 and they Do they really care? Do they really respect the game enough? Not care about the club they're playing, but respect the game that they're involved with. And sometimes, again, it comes across that they don't. Mm. Uh, And I think that's what antagonises. And sometimes as ex-players, we feel like, okay, earn the money. You know, if you get the money, I I love the idea that a Harry Kane or um, Reed Sterling or an Aguero is earning that type of money because they they play. And the fans can appreciate that. It's the ones Mm. that, again, look like they they're God's gift and they deserve it, you know, they, they forget a little bit where they come from. So going back to me, moving to, to Wimbledon, 
was a was a great opportunity for me. And again, I go to Wimbledon, and eight months later, I'm, I'm get, I get selected with Graham Taylor in the England setup. So, you know, that was my chance. I never played the game for money, mm. and, and I, I try and preach that to my kids. Um, you know, play the game because you love it. If you give everything to the game, it will give you everything back that you want and you deserve. And you know, for me, lucky enough. Uh, when I was playing the league, I was going for runs over, you know, uh, Epping Forest and running by myself and travelling to work on a on a moped and coming back and and it it gave me the chance to play for England. It gave me to play in the Champions League and beat Barcelona. It gave me the chance to try and win a Premier League title for Newcastle. Yeah. So you know that's how I, uh, horses for courses. So the the money aspect was never a thing that I was was going into because I always believe if you do well. As I said, it's just a little bit at the moment where people get paid money and don't look like they really appreciate what they're doing. For me, it's the best job in the world. It's not even a job. It's not even a, it's you're getting paid for playing the sport that you love. So, you know, from that point of view. But yeah, obviously you look forward and say, well, I went for a record defender for from Wimbledon to Newcastle. You know, I would have yeah. been Carl Walker or whatever or Van Dyke or whatever or Trent Alexander, that type of figures. But it is what it is. Listen, I had a great career. I loved every minute of it. We, we could do things you could never do now. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll you know, come to those and, in a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens at the crazy game. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, from that point of view, uh, th there's no bitterness with me. You know, I don't sit back. The only thing I, I regret is that I'm not still playing because I love it. I miss mm. it every day. I miss the training. I miss the games. You know, even at not even, but playing non-league at Dagenham and Redbridge and Leightonstone Ilford in the pissing rain on a Tuesday night at the, at the stadium. I, I loved it. It was it was what I loved and what I still love. The Premier Non-League Podcast. So we're going to go up the road now and discuss neighbour for Warren Barton, our kind of state neighbour, I'd say. And, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelney, for some reason, are really actually seriously considering buying Wrexham. And they had a fans chat this week. And I know we touched on this a few weeks ago on one of the episodes of the Premier Non-League podcast. Chaps, is this the most random story of 2020, apart from COVID? I'm surprised, I've got to say, James. Um, I know Wrexham are desperately keen to get out of the National League. They have been stuck in it for, for a long while and they, you know, they're a former football league club. But, um, I, well, strange, strange things happen in football, but... You know, is this one of the very strangest ones? Are we going to have a, a Wrexham movie appearing on the screens when the cinemas ever reopen? <laughs> well, you never know, don't you? I mean, you had Scarborough on BBC, and that was a random uh, TV show. So you can never, you can never, you never imagine what would be the next sort of idea. But what I can't understand is, was Wrexham maybe a filming location, and they saw it, they drove past it? Because I really can't work out why. Hollywood A-listers would be involved in Wrexham. There's no disrespect to Wrexham. I'm not disrespecting them at all. But you'd think they'd be interested in a club with a big city, easy connection to fly to from America. Guys, well, what do we think? I, I just think it's very peculiar. I would, I, I'm always very dubious about potential takeovers by big stars who might not have the knowledge of soccer, as they would call it in America. Um, it'll be like a little play thing. And if it doesn't work, they'll off they go. That's my concern. Wrexham have a rich history, you know, going back decades, um, more than a century old, and to have a, an A-list American star at the helm, that would worry me as a fan. It really would. Well, their nickname is the Red Dragons. Did someone maybe think that, that they thought it was called the Red Devils and confuse it with Man United that aren't too far up the road? I mean, maybe Malcolm Glazer was on a wind-up one time. I'm I'm just I'm just totally totally baffled by it, but but maybe you know 
they've they've seen something somewhere. They they must have, um, and obviously they've somehow grown an affinity. I, I don't know. I, I can't. Have I they can't have explain they it. The, sorry, Peter. Have they um, seen the the Harrogate Town video film on BT? Oh, we could do something like that. Okay. <laughs> it, it could be, couldn't it? Something simple as something simple as that. Maybe they see as well that. You know there is there's huge potential there. You know they're very they're a very well supported club. Even you know in the national league they have been all the way through. The ground's big enough to probably still hold somewhere around about between eight and ten thousand, maybe a little more than that. Um, you know, way. yeah, you've got you've got a club you could take a Salford kind of direction, um, and that you know that these guys are going to have the money to do it. And as you say, Chris as well, and I quite agree with that when it comes to takeovers. When you've got money coming in, you're then looking at where is it sustainable when that money pulls out, if it does? Absolutely. It, it worries me. Um, it's, uh, I, I don't like seeing football clubs or any sports club, for that matter, become clear things. Maybe Ryan Reynolds has a little bit more about him than that. Who knows? But um, if I was a Wrexham fan, I'd be very cautious. I wonder if bootlegger maybe went viral in America and they thought, oh, it's going to get tasty, baby, over in Wrexham. <laughs> maybe Ryan Reynolds wants to do a, a film, with, maybe it was an extra or something, because at least he's got a little bit of fame and, uh, you know, we're going up juice and stuff like that. It's brilliant, those little virals. Yeah, it's probably going to make a war movie, any movie's his helmet. Uh, well, you... <laughs> Christ. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> Um, moving on though, well, I think we, I think we're going to go back into state or up the state road back to uh, Warren Barton's house for part two of the interview. Remember, this is a four-part interview. The next parts will come next week, uh, next couple of weeks in next edition of the Premier Only podcast. So it means you have to tune in again in a couple of weeks' time. So without further ado, on to part two. Are you PNLP? Ten goals from right back is not a bad return, really, over the five years. But Wikipedia lied to me, and I know, and I know the difference here because you scored one goal for Maidstone United, didn't you? Yep. Yeovil Town on a Sunday in the FA Cup. I remember it. Talk me through it. Uh, It was, as you said, it was a Dartmouth field was like this, and we was kicking down the slope as we we normally try to do. And I think the first half would I be right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Blimey, my memory is good. Yeah, and again, my game was going forward. I was pushing down. I come inside on my left left foot. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of opened up a little bit, and I just took a a big old swing at it. Yeah, and it 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 flew into the top corner. Yeah, exactly. uh, Remember rightly, exactly Uh, that. Yeah, Yeovil, we know at that time was a big big non league team. uh, Yeah, you know, very well supported a lot of people there. But yeah, that that's why the FA Cup has always been special to me because it gave me my first goal in in professional football. Um, so yeah, I remember coming in. There's actually a picture. I think I might even have that. Someone sent it to me because it was in the programme the following week later. Um, so, yeah, that was a special moment for me. But, yeah, I remember that goal. I, I didn't get too many. So, I remember all of them, actually, the most of them. And I think even if I remember rightly as it well, was, some of the, sorry, I think if, even if I remember rightly as well, some of the goals at Wimbledon were from that sort of range as well. And yeah, more, more yeah, blockbusters yeah, than, than a couple of two-yard tappings. Yeah, yeah. I got a couple of tap-ins for Newcastle, but most of them, yeah, for, for Wimbledon in particular, was left foot against Southampton. There was another couple of shots. Yeah, so I could use my left foot. You know, that's one thing Tommy Taylor, we used to do, me and Paul Rumble would go and practice our weaker foot as full-backs yeah. uh, and do some with our right foot, put it in the channel with our left foot for someone like Smokey or 
and then it got, got onto someone like a, an Alan Shearer into the channel so he could get onto the ball. So, yeah, I opened up for me and I, I hit it with my left foot. So, yeah, I was uh, pretty pleased as well. Did we win 2-1? That was going to be we my question. We won 2-1, yeah, we did. 2-1, yeah. there we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, we, so your memory's just... We probably, got, we probably got knocked out the next round, but at least I got me going in the FA Cup. I think we did as well. I don't did. think... Yeah, I don't think we made the third round for for quite well. I don't think for any of the years we were in the football league. Actually, we never oh, got well, to the third okay. round. Well, there we go. So, there we go. There we go. And then, of course, we can't get away with not mentioning the crazy gang, can we? Mm. What's it like to be a part of those years and coming in as a new player as well into that environment? It was it was from being a young boy, as I said, you know, coming in there as a, a young professional, going into coming out as a senior professional because you know I went there uh, as I said with a bit of a hefty price tag 300,000 because Dennis Wise had moved to Chelsea yeah. in that period because it was like he was moving on to Chelsea for 1.6 I think he was at the time uh, and I was coming in um, and with the crazy game with their spirit but I think we I, well not I think I know uh, Fash said John Fashion he said to me and we'd had a lot of non-league players as well like Steve Cotchell had played and yeah um, John Gow had played non-league and a lot of the players, we could look after ourselves because part of being non-league is that you you yeah. stick together. And like I said to you earlier, if you lose a game and it's five pound win bonus, you better be ready because there's going to be about 15 fellas that are going to sort you out <laughs> the next day. So I was I was a little bit accustomed to that. And I suppose maybe the area that I lived in, you know, in, and, and being a one parent family, you sort of could look after yourself a little bit you're not naive a bit a bit green around the ears but going into that professional environment in the Premier League I was told pretty quickly it was part of our culture we was going to be different to any other Premier League team you know we wasn't a Southampton or a Coventry or a Norwich um, we was Wimbledon and again coming through the ranks like they did from the fourth division all the way up into the they still kept that fundamental you know uh, core of sticking together and whatever it takes we're going to try and win together and we stick together. There was an instance that we played against Derby and um, we, we was at the baseball ground and they had some players that could look after themselves. And there's a bit of a scuffle that broke out. This was about my third or fourth game. Yeah. And I went running over as a fullback to sort of separate one of our players and one of their players. Well, Fash come along and nearly broke my arm and pushed <laughs> it in there. So come over and it all kicked off a little bit. And then we went in the tunnel and he's grabbing a headlock uh, and pulled me into the changing room. So I'm thinking, oh my God, this this is the end of me. I ain't going to last too long with someone like Fash. And he said, don't ever do that again. When we get into a situation, whoever it is, we we stick together. It's us with them. We go after them. We You support whoever it is. And again, that's the mentality that I was brought up in. I went, okay, the penny dropped pretty quickly. Even yeah. in the Premier League, we're going to do that. You've seen it with Arsenal, with Tony Adams and Bowen yeah, yeah. and Winterburn. Yeah. They'd all go over. Um and it happened, started happening with Man United, with the likes of Roy Keane and, you know, Cantona and Hughes. But we did it at Wimbledon. And, you know, wherever it happened, there was a scuffle on the street. And particularly with Vinny, it was probably every other <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20 minutes it was happening. We would make sure we stick together. You know, my first couple of, I mean, it's great now with AFC Wimbledon. They backed it at Player Lane. Uh, the stadium looked magnificent. It's just a shame, mm. obviously, the fans can't be there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me playing at Player Lane, my first two home games was the mighty Liverpool, who was running yeah. right in the late 80s, winning every trophy there was, with the likes of Rush and Ronnie Whelan and Johnny Barnes, yeah, marking him. Two against the, the Arsenal team was the next game with Merson and Alan Smith and coming there. So that was a real eye-opener for me, being at Player Lane. And um, But then we, you know, as I said, we, we had the experience of playing and, you know, 
people getting their clothes set on fire. And I remember <laughs> I got selected, as I said, my first year, um, I got picked for England. So yeah. I had a, a, a Golf at the time, a, a little GT Golf. Um, not it wasn't even not a GTI. It was just GT. I couldn't yeah. couldn't afford <laughs> couldn't it. Afford couldn't the afford I. the I. <laughs> so I just got the GT. Um, but it's in the car park, and the, the at the time the fax comes out. You know, uh, Joe Kinnear's the manager, or and said, okay, you've been or Ray Hartford actually. You've been selected yeah, Ray Hartford, Taylor. Yeah. yeah, Ray Hartford yeah. would have been in, in charge after because uh, Gordy left. Um, and Ray had come in and said, "Oh, you've been selected for England." I go to get in my car; my tyres have been slashed, uh-huh. so I'm like, I "Have to call out the AA uh, to come and you know get, do the tyres." I, I haven't got enough money to pay for them. I've asked Fash, you had all the money. Can you get me four tyres? <laughs> I find out, not thinking that it's going to be one of the players. I'm thinking it's like maybe Vinny or uh, uh, Scott Fitzgerald, who was a bit of a character at the time, or Brian McAllister, or any of the the, the boys around there. Yeah. It ends up being the owner, Sam Amen. He's the one that slashed my tyres. So I think he's the owner of the football club. What chance have we got yeah. with the, the the rest of us? So, and this is the same owner that would come in after we get a result at Anfield or Old Trafford or whatever, and bet eight or nine of the players fifty pounds. I've never seen a fifty pound when it first came out. The red ones. He'd be on the half. He'd be on the halfway line. You'd be at the other end of the field, and you'd have to run to the other end. Whoever beat him, he would give you. 50 pounds. So it started with just four of them at the beginning of the season. Yeah. By the end of it, you got 27 first team <laughs> players. <laughs> and he would pay all of us 50 pounds uh, at the time we would beat him uh, across the line. But that was all the spirit. That was all of us together. Yeah. That was how we would do it. We would win a game in the tunnel. They'd always, you know, we'd be at Plough Lane or then at Selhurst Park. And there'd always be someone that, oh, this is not the crazy gang. You know, we've got players that are playing for England and Dean Holdsworth had come from Brentford scoring goals. Yeah. He'd been in there. Robbie O was a good player. John Scales, John Scales, Keith Curl, Terry Freeland. You know, the list goes on and on. Neil Sullivan, Chris Perry had all gone on and played for other so-called bigger clubs. And there'd always be some Scandinavian, there's always a Scandinavian centre-half would say a stupid thing. This is not the crazy gang. You know, they're, they're, this is a different team. So the music would be blaring out. We'd have our, uh, our music system on. Fash would come out again. He's our captain. Like just his sh- shorts on, rolled up. His top, he was, he had muscle on, muscle he on, did, muscle. Didn't you know? yeah. He, yeah. he was a, a fit guy and he did the martial arts and all that business. So he'd come walking out and he go, and we'd all say it'd be the centre half. He, he's the one that said it, Fash. You know, we're not the crazy gang of old. So Fash would look at him and go, okay, Bubbler, I see you out there. Me and you, big man, we're going to have fun. And you could see, see the face and his fear in a guy's eyes and he'd go down. And the other players on his team would go, good luck, you're on your own. And within about, <laughs> 15 20 minutes there'd be a few tackles flying around we'd be one nil up win the game two nil that's the seven or eight points that we could count that we'd be comfortable in the league and yeah. and go forward so you know that was part of a little bit of the culture how we was richard keys great story you know they first time sky then wanted to be down the tunnel so we're in the train you're thinking surely they're not going to be that naive there we go. We've got the TV at the top. We managed to get a TV in the, our room. Richard Keyes is doing a rehearsal, coming down the tunnel, doing it. So I think, right, okay, here we go. We've got a medical room. There's the, the away change room, a medical yeah. door, and there's our room. So you have to go start at the end, and then you're coming out our door, then you go onto the tunnel. So we, they're doing it live. We've gone out doing the warm-up. And, and all we're, to, we're playing, at, I think we're to, playing someone like uh, a Liverpool or uh, and Everton, someone like you know, a, a big game, a, a good yeah. game at, at home. But what we're thinking about is Richard Keys walking down the tunnel. So we'll get back in there. So all the boys are giggling and uh, Ray's trying to do his team talk. And then we can see, right, 
the physio said he's doing it live. So he comes walking down and here we are at Sellers Park getting ready for the Monday night game, live out to the people. Uh, Everton's locker room is here. We're going past the crazy game. You can hear our music. So as he says that, the medical door, the door comes open. We drag him in. This is live on TV. Drag him in, rough up his hair, cut his tie, rip his shirt, rip his jacket throw him back out there in there <laughs> we said to Richard he kept kept on doing it but his ties everywhere his hair's all been messed up and Richard loves his hair he wants to be immaculate looks a million dollars and we threw him back out there and he kept doing it and that's the crazy game that we're going to and now we're going to go live to the game and off we go to Martin Tyler and Andy Gray and we're we're in stitches we're in I think we I can't really remember we probably won the game at home we normally did against um on a Monday night, but we played. But Richard then loved us, you know, that was part of the crazy gang and we was doing it, but we was in the stitches, because we're trying now to get ready for a game. Yeah. But we're in the stitches, because as I said, we just grabbed one of the biggest hosts in world football and brought him in, beat him up. There was a few little digs here and there, cut his tie and threw him back in, <laughs> threw him back out into the, uh, into the tunnel, sorry to go out there. But it was a, a, a wonderful football club. Um, you know, a, a shame the way that they left and, and obviously got relegated Wimbledon. But it really made me compete in the Premier League. And then I was ready for that next step to try and win things. You know, I'd been in that England setup yeah. with Graham Taylor. I'd had obviously the time with uh, Terry Venables, uh, with his, his England squad and obviously getting ready for Euro 96. Um, Keith had just gone a couple of years. And then every year, John Scowles moved on to Liverpool. And it was the next thing that would, would be coming along that, uh, you know, the next arguably better player would be moving on. And unfortunately for me, it, it was a it was a record for a defender. Uh, and there was a lot of speculation, whether it was Arsenal, uh, Celtic, uh, Everton, Aston Villa, um, Man City uh, was, was a lot of teams that was interested. But, you know, Newcastle at the time with KK, Kevin Keegan, um, it was a no brainer, you know, my, my family supported Arsenal. I spoke to David Dean, but they didn't have a manager. Bruce Rio yep. had just been sacked. Okay. I was looking for a new one and Arsene Wenger didn't come in until October. And if you remember, Newcastle was challenging. They was at the top. They got into European football. Yep. They was buying players. Um, and Kevin Keegan matched the offer of four million for me. Um, and Newcastle accepted it. And then it was just really down to personal terms. And that took about three and a half seconds because it was a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, it was not, never a problem. The Premier Non-League Podcast. Part two of an hour-long interview with Warren Barton. We probably realised after our last episode that our, our really fantastic one with Chris Dixon in a previous episode was probably should have been cut into two episodes because if you listen to the end of that, you really are PNLP, I think. You know, you are a number one fan because that was a long podcast and I appreciate, you know, with people not commuting at the moment, time for podcasts might not always be wary. But well, part three and four will be in the next episode, which will be out in a couple of weeks' time. But we haven't finished this one yet, chaps. So we're cracking on. I'd normally get to the part of the show now. We'd say, what are we up to in the next couple of weeks? We ain't going to football matches, are we? We know that for a fact. Not going to the pub either, mate. No, not going to the pub either. I mean, I did take advantage of Weatherspoons is a 99p discount things last week before I'm now abstaining from alcohol till uh, Christmas. If that lasts, I don't know. But uh, 99p. No, well, if I have anything to do with you in, in tow, I probably won't. And I'll sit there doing the commentary if we get back to the football and Pete will be sip, sipping a pint and I'll be having a cup of tea. And I'm just like drooling at the lips or something <laughs> not pete though for for the beer so what are we doing what are we doing chaps i mean there's a little bit of efl there's an international break coming up this weekend then we've got the premier league chris have you got any plans going on yeah for the uh, the mariners podcast team are getting together on thursday um first podcast since the 
season restart. Um, we were quite prolific during lockdown, um, but we've done nothing since the start of the season, purely through um, work commitments and various commitments and matches, obviously so many matches being played. Um, so Thursday is the first time that three of us are able to get together, um, virtually, of course, and we're not going to break any rules. Um, so myself, Ronnie, and uh, my brother, Simon, we're going to get together on uh, on Thursday to do a recording of the Mariners podcast. Lots to talk about, of course, with what's going on and, and, and with the changes in the club. So we've got that. I've got an interview with, um, well, it's not an interview, it's uh, Lee Picton. Um, wants to pick my brains, as it were, as in, in his new role. So I'm having a chat with uh, with Lee on Friday um, via Zoom. So looking forward to that. So I've got things, plenty of things going on. And, and I, I'm a cricket fan as well. So there's a lot I can keep up to date with all sorts. So I hope you will be uh, shouting out your new role as the Northern Correspondent with Ronnie on the Premier Non-League podcast and plugging us for your Northern listeners. I, I know you're doing it on social medias, but any, anything yeah. we need to do to get out. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And to be honest, the, the irony is that Ronnie, particularly myself, you know, we've done more um, for other podcasts than we've done for our own because we've been on various um, things over the last six months. But now this is your podcast as well. You're not doing it for another one. You're part of the team. You're part of the Premier yeah, Non-League podcast. So yeah, Added to your podcast group, but I mean, we're, I'd say Pete and I, Pete and I, we obviously do the Rebel Yell stuff for Worthing, and during the last lockdown, we were really sort of prolific doing live shows every Saturday uh, with players, with fans, and it was really good. And we're, we're kind of taking it to a new, I'd say, a new level. We're starting doing a thing called Rebel Records, which is uh, it's going to be a bit like Desert Island Discs. Uh, Pete said we can't co- co- we can't use that word because we'll probably get sued by the BBC. So we thought Rebel Records, eight records of their choice. We got the first team uh, kit man and uh, one of the youth coaches, Stuart Evans, on our first episode. So I know I'm looking forward to doing that with Pete this week. It'd be, be, be nice to get some tunes going. A bit of a different format from the usual Pete, isn't it? Yeah, totally, mate. Yeah, it's gonna be. Uh, it, it's gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna be interesting, isn't it? It's, it's just gotta see see how interesting Stuart's life is. You know. Well, he's a bit of a dark horse, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I could see. I could see Pete being a disc jockey. Really, to be fair, I could see him playing the ones and twos on sort of radio, radio one back in the sixties. I've been there. I've been there. Done that, mate. Yeah, you said you used to be a DJ in the boozer. At, oh, in the boozer. There we go. So. <laughs> he's used to it so he'll be he'll be mixing on the decks and that and Trev I know you're you've tried to fit in a lot of football before the lockdown so what are you actually going to do <laughs> what well, are you going to do I'm going to do exactly what I did last lockdown and keep blogging um I'm hoping I'll catch up with uh, Tunbridge Angels manager Steve McKim later this week and Danny Bloor of Eastbourne Barrow catch up after their FA Cup games I'll probably stream Barnet's game on uh, Saturday because they take on uh, 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 Neil Smith's Bromley. Uh, Neil's a, a good friend to my blog as well. So um, I'll be uh, trying to catch up with him. Eastley's Ben Strevens, Darren Curry, who's obviously still out of a job since leaving Barnet in the summer over the next few weeks as well. And just generally cracking on with my blog and getting my 2,000 visitors every month. And just remember, Trev, to ask uh, Danny Blur about mm. the chance that uh, Greg Lur had in the yeah, I first know. half yesterday, one on one with a goalie. Yeah. And, you know, if that had gone in, it could have been a totally different ball game. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I certainly will. I, like, I must admit, I liked Danny's um, interview on BT Sport after the game. If, um, if you just tuned in to watch that, you wouldn't have known Eastbourne had lost 3 0. He actually looked more like the manager who'd won the game. 
funny old game, but you know we love to see it, don't we? It's gonna be it's gonna be a funny couple of weeks, I have to say. And at, at, at least this time we have got other football, and it's not like last last mm. lockdown when there's nothing on. But this part of the show, Pete and his shout outs. Uh, Pete, I think you prepared this week for some shout outs. I know sort of last week you didn't really have any, did you? <laughs> I, I don't know why I take this stick off you, James. I really oh, don't. You love me, really. <laughs> But no, um, well, first of all, um, on, a, on a serious note, uh, we had um, that terrible incident last year of uh, Jordan Sinnott, who mm. Matt Lockdown player who was assaulted after a you know after leaving a pub, um, and unfortunately died from his injuries. Um, and three men have been convicted and sentenced now for manslaughter. Uh, one got eleven years, another eight years, and one of them got fourteen months for a fray. So I presume he wasn't as involved as the other two. Um, so I'm. I'm I'm just glad the family can draw a line underneath it and get on get on with their lives. Yeah, good yeah, news. Absolutely. That was awful. And I loved seeing all the non-league shirts and football league shirts. And yeah. that was such a touch. So many clubs doing it. I know Worthing got involved. I'm sure Shields got involved. And yeah. you know, our own clubs, our professional clubs. It was great to see his name on the back of those shirts. Okay, next one. Uh, Max Kilman, uh, <laughs> former Welling Maidenhead and Marlow player. Awarded with a five-year contract with Wolves in the last week. Brilliant. So, yeah, that's nice to see a non-league player doing doing well there. Um, now, uh, you might know a bit more about Colm, uh, Chris. Yes. Uh, uh, Ryan Taylor. Yeah. Former Newcastle 36. A sign Ooh. for Colm, and that's a cracking signing for them, I would think. Very good signing. Um, we, we spoke about this live on air when we he made his debut against Shields. And um, Ronnie is a a Newcastle fan by history. Um, when I said Ryan Taylor's playing, he, he had to do a double take. I said, it's Ryan Taylor. He's like, what? What? <laughs> and um, I just think it's brilliant to see footballers wanting to continue playing. If they can give something back to, to the teams at, at our levels, to me, it's what it's about. And Ryan Taylor was excellent on the day. Um, he put in a good shift. You could see his delivery was still first class, um, and uh, he didn't he, he didn't look like you know Billy Big, you know what, um, nothing like that. And 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 hats off to him. Hats off to Colin, of course, for the deal. But hats off to him himself. It's like Julio Arca coming to South Shield. It's all sorts of these these players. It's wonderful to see. And 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 um, and Ryan Taylor is a is a real coup for Colin, who who um, put in a a good account of themselves against Shields in the FA Trophy. If nobody's seen it, uh, you need to catch up on it. It's uh, John Rooney's goal for Stockport from his own half. Oh, I've not seen so that. I think it's on... No, it's either, it's, it's definitely on Twitter. Um, whether it's on YouTube, I'm not too sure. But I, I saw it on Twitter. So if you, have, if you haven't seen it, search for it. Um, Keensham Town Football Club tweeted after kickoff on Saturday... After the first minute, first minute kickoff. And then they put, sorry about no team news. Been chatting up the tea, tea lady, possibly moving in. <laughs> yeah, I saw possibly, that. Brilliant. Possibly, possibly moving in with her, in brackets, nil-nil. So, <laughs> only, only, in, only in non-league. So I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Um, Harley Alexander Sule, or Saul, from Rizzle Kicks, okay. has, has joined Hitchin Town. Fair enough. Yeah, which which I was surprised at. So Rizzo kicks aren't as hot as they were back in the day, are they? 
No. So I don't know how old he is. I don't even know if they've done any songs recently. <laughs> not, not sure. Nice to be back at Plough Lane. I saw on um, Match of the Day, uh, was it Match of the Day 2? I think they did uh, a little walk around talking to some of the fans. I mean, it must be from that Phoenix club to come back to pretty much where they, the sad story of what are now known as MK Don started, to see them go back to Plough Lane. I, I I can imagine the guy felt he looked choked up, and you would be. It's just a shame they couldn't go back with fans in the ground. The yeah, stadium looks fantastic. Actually, um, in in parts three and four that you listen to in the next couple of weeks, Warren obviously touches on that, having been an ex Wimbledon player as well. Um, the ground just looks phenomenal, really does, and it's so good to see them the the struggles they have. And like the guy said, I can remember when they were advertising for people to go for trials on on, on Wimbledon Common as it was. Uh, someone I, I grew up with, Sim Johnson, actually played a couple of years for um, AFC Wimbledon when they were in the Combined Counties League. We, and he came from one of those those trial days as well. So to uh, to see their rise all the way up into the Football League, now back home into Merton as well, is really fantastic, really good. That's brilliant. There's a tragedy of MK Dons. Let's hope it's never, ever repeated in the world of football again because we're not America. We don't do our sports by picking up teams and dropping them in other parts of the country. And I'm just glad to see Wimbledon. Uh, I might not be the biggest fan of AFC Wimbledon having played them. I'll say it again, Pete, has been a Charlton fan over the years. I'm not, I'm not, and uh, there's certain uh, random idiot with that crap haircut that plays for Nottingham Forest now came from AFC Wimbledon a few, uh, a few years ago. and came to a better team but the less said about him the better I've got to hope to God he never goes to non-league and we end up getting him on in the future you really don't like him now do you Jones no, doing the dirty no. on Charlton and it annoys um, me that he's scoring goals yeah he scored two Saturday mate yeah, brilliant fantastic buzzing <laughs> <laughs> he's not listeners he's not bitter he's not bitter no nah, never bitter never bitter <laughs> so that yeah that, that that was it for me really um Otherwise, we're just going to drift back into COVID, and I think we've covered that enough. Uh, I've had enough. I think we've had enough of COVID. I think again, we can say I, I wouldn't be surprised when we get together again in a couple of weeks to record this that things have changed once again. Hopefully, we are coming towards the end of the lockdown. It hasn't been told to be extended, and hopefully, we have more information on this vaccine because I seriously, as I said earlier on the podcast, for me, my livelihood, my wife, and you know, all my friends and my footballing family, a vaccine is what we need to move forward and let's just hope it this one isn't the first it's the first of many and we're going to get there and they're going to have some sort of plan of how they're going to vaccinate people because i just want to go back to normal guys i, I want to be down the pub i want to be having you know pete and i and you know trev we haven't been to our home ground this season because of the works and it doesn't look like we're going to get there to the new year even if we could go back and i do miss going into the bar having a drink with my friends, not having to worry about this social distancing crap that's really starting to get to me now. Everywhere you go, I mean, it's just getting silly. But we don't want to go into that spiral now of uh, COVID and going, which we could talk here for hours. But, you know, I'd always like to say, if you are listening to this and you're struggling, please don't struggle in silence. You have got friends out there. We're doing this via Zoom, which we all enjoy doing. We all enjoy seeing people's faces. You know, keep in touch with your family and friends. You know, listen, do things that you enjoy doing. And, you know, if you are struggling, please, there are people out there who will help you. Uh, we are a footballing family. But, chaps, any, any final words from you guys before we end this week's episode, Chris? Yeah, two shout-outs. One, from a non-league perspective, um, Kedwin Scott. Um, and the forward strike league, uh, two leagues, Los South Shields, currently on trial with Newcastle United. Um, scored for the under-23s uh, the other night. 
Um, he's on a three or four week trial, so that's great for the Northeast non-league scene. Kedwin's doing really well. And finally, um, a shout out to um, Jade Thirlwall, one quarter of Little Mix. Oh, yeah. Who has confirmed this evening as being an official shareholder of South Shields Football Club. She, like many of us, have um, pledged our our hard-earned into the new share scheme. You know what? Whatever, because you just want to, you know, you just want to have some weird gig at South Shields Park and get some sort of like, uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever. All we have here, all we have connecting Worthing is a blimmin' Amy Hart from Love Island, and that's the only thing that it's famous for down here, and no one really cares about that. At least you get someone with talent in South Shields. Well, of course, because the well, um, half of Little Mix are from South Shields. Perry Edwards, yeah. girlfriend of Alex Oxley Chamberlain, she's from Shields. Shield as well. Oh, let me guess, you're going to try and tap her up and say, I'll oh, get him yeah. to go on loan for you or something like that in yeah. a few years' time. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's kind of forgotten her roots to, to an extent compared okay. to Jade. Um, but yeah, official tonight on South Shields, Jade Thirlwall, um, an official shareholder. So Can you tag her in a PNLP for us? Can you get her on as an episode? That'd be quite interesting yeah, to see. Yeah, do you ever think is, Chris, when we, 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 me and James have already said we'll have to probably come up sometime and, and catch yeah. a game. Um, any guarantee she could be there? <laughs> oh, you're such a pervert, Pete, aren't you? Because I know you, you, the listeners can't see his really weird face right now, and you know we, we have to still see it right now. And, you know, no, well, you don't have to commentate next to him when uh, when things happen at games, but you know we'll, we'll, we'll leave that alone as it is right now because it's going to go down a dark path if we carry on, isn't it? <laughs> I was being purely professional, by the way. Yeah, always, 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 always. And Trev, any for any last words from you before we end? Uh, not really. Just everyone look after yourselves. Be sensible over the next four weeks, and we'll be back watching football before you know it. I hope. I hope, I hope. So once again, it's been an absolute pleasure to do this episode of the Premier Non-League Podcast, episode five. Uh, episode six, a couple of weeks' time, we'll have parts three and four of Warren Barton's interview with Trevor. And hopefully, we might get the Northern Premier League chairman on if we could keep digging and find a way in to do him there. But, you know, once again, it's been a pleasure. You know, you probably won't hopefully hear this when I do the editing uh, of this podcast, but... <laughs> We gave Pete so much stick last week for, for getting to press to call with Ollie Bayliss and me and Trevor can't even produce a stable internet connection tonight. So, you know, we've messed up now. You know, Chris, you're sitting there without, like the innocent angel that you are, you haven't done anything wrong yet. So you continue. Yeah. Obviously, maybe we'll have to move up north or something, but, uh, you know, to get a stable internet connection and actually stop making mistakes. But, you know, we're learning. We're learning. We're getting stronger as it goes on. But it has been a pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks for listening, guys. Tune in to our social medias or at the PNLP on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Chat on our user group. See what you like. Give us any shouts or ideas if you'd like to hear anything on the next episode. But for myself and the Premier Non League podcast team, thank you for listening. Once again, and good night. Are you PNLP? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.